Hey listeners, welcome back to Geek Life, Panamanga.com's very own podcast, episode number 26, and today we're talking about zombies. So of course we've got in the house the zombie extraordinaire, the 8th Henry. Always a pleasure. Thank you, thank you. And of course, as always, our fearless co-host, the Brian, who is sick. <laughs> Remember kids, in case of a zombie apocalypse, duck and cover. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna work real well, I think. <laughs> and then, of course, the vicious co-host, Joe Vicious. Hi, hello, <laughs> good day. No mermaid girlfriend. No mermaid. It's hard. It's a hard act to follow. That's, no, that's a bar that you set. That's up there. You know, Maybe you might have to go get Cameron to go get that for you. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who are South Park fans. <laughs> No, that no, no, the donkey no. one. The, the bar is already raised. I, exactly. Uh, God help me if Cameron gets a hold of it. <laughs> and then, of course, the admin. Thought you were going to forget about me there. For Never, <laughs> ever. No, you're sitting close to me. I'd get smacked. <laughs> <laughs> so today's subject, like I said before, is zombies. We're going to move into some zombie news. And we've got a really great zombie comic to review. But first, a little housekeeping. First up on housekeeping, this is the very first podcast that The Brian will be editing. So you'll be shifting away from my magnificent editing and moving over to The Brian's magnificent editing. So uh, so he wanted to have a little disclaimer that, you know, if this one sucks, it's his fault. <laughs> Which I'm okay with, I guess. But just kind of continuing forward with being under the weather and kind of jacked up after my surgery and then getting sick and just it's been kind of a crappy couple weeks to be completely honest crappy months so far and uh just getting behind on things and really needing to you know remove a little bit of my pressure and stress of all of the things that are going on on the website the brian has been very generous and stepped in and offered to edit the entire podcast which is really quite a big job so you know thanks man really no problem appreciate it but at the same time, if it sounds bad, it's all you. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we have very, very different styles of audio. And what do you editing. call yours brute force, right? Yes, yes. Yours is surgical precision, and mine's brute force. <laughs> well, so hopefully we won't sound really inarticulate. I do everything I can to make us sound like what we know what we're talking about. Luckily, everybody on the podcast today is pretty well podcast vets at this point. We don't have any mm. newbies. And so hopefully we'll be, you know, on top of it. Um, um and er. <laughs> and then secondly on our news, we wanted to make sure to bring up that zombie-egg.com is coming back. There's been some exciting meetings recently, and 8th Henry has been working on it in his spare time, which is unfortunately very limited right now. His work is riding him hard. He's Thor, so Thor. I am so Thor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, but you know, we trudge on, and eventually we'll get that out and going. No real date yet, but hopefully we can have something up uh, early next year is, I think, the plan. You know, work on it through the holidays and get something up, you know, sometime early next year would be exciting. It's not, uh, not a hojillion different things going on on Zombie Egg yet. There's lots of exciting plans, but the first step is just to... Uh, your handy-dandy blog updates and suggestions and articles about how to, you know, duck and cover in the event of a zombie apocalypse. With any luck, it won't be coming too late for a zombie apocalypse. Right, I know. I mean, you want to try and get it there before 2012, because who knows if that's what's going to end the world. Well, see, well, well, well 2012, <laughs> the, the, the 2012. Has, me, has me edgy. It doesn't really have me thinking zombie apocalypse. We haven't really seen a lot of those signs. We saw bath salts. We saw bath salts, but bath salts... <laughs> that was just a scare. Bath salts... It is over. Yeah, as I mentioned in the podcast shortly after the bath salts incident, 
I am very proud of America and the rest of the world for immediately assessing the <laughs> severe reality of zombie attack. And everyone did excellently, especially that one officer who I still need to contact. Give him, <laughs> give him a medal. Does anybody else feel like all this... 2012 is the end of the world. It's like the date keeps getting pushed. <laughs> well, that's it's like, the way. It's like 2012. Yeah. No, okay. Well, we made it through the New Year's Eve on 2011. So how about a little ways? Okay, let's do a little ways in, and then a little more ways in, and then we're just pretty much. Oh. It's like what is it? Like December? What is it? It's, it's the birthday, right? No, 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 no. December 21st, 2012. Winter solstice. And we're actually in the proper time zone. For it, so the world will end on our December twenty fifth. That's convenient. That's convenient. And here, no less. Yeah. It's, it's all part of the California convenience. <laughs> we do not only do we get tempered weather, but we get timely apocalypse. Mm -hmm. timely. One of my buddies is actually born on December twenty first, and so I'm like, well, you either better have a it's the end of the world party or a birthday party. <laughs> either way, you better have one. In hell of a party. Well, it's just kind of mm -hmm. silly because, I mean, I'm 28 years old and I've lived through like three or four supposed apocalypses at this point. Oh, yeah. And I can remember years ago in high school, admin and a couple friends and I were all sitting around a friend's house being like, Why did you gay? The world's going to be over! <laughs> For the record, I was going to go looting. <laughs> I was already had my little bag of loot. Right, or, well, not loot in it yet, but it was a bag for loot. It was a it bag, was bag that was intended to be filled it, with it, loot. It even had a dollar sign on it. it didn't, no, but it had the word loot on it. <laughs> uh, I figured well, that was important. Well, because money is not important. The society has collapsed. Well, apocalypse except for caps. Caps. Let's well, not get you started uh, on caps. Yeah, probably, don't even bring it up. Probably better not to. <laughs> no, but apocalypses or proposed apocalypses are actually really common. I mean, there are a lot of American religions based on the idea oh, that the apocalypse was going to happen. You know, yeah, at random there, like, times. Three last year. Well, okay, so there's <laughs> there's lots of little ones, but it yeah. feels like the big ones that everybody's kind of like butt puckering about. It seems like we've had at least two or three in my lifetime. Well, that's yeah. because you know you're at the turn of the century, so mm -hmm. you got the two thousand, and whenever we reach a nice even thousand mark, the world's supposed to end. And then well, twenty twelve. That was all about computer crash. No, the year 2000 had a lot of other, like, traditional references. People okay. thought the world was going to end mm -hmm. because it was the even number. Well, oh, Christ has been gone for 2,000 years. That seems like a good amount of time for him to hang out in heaven. Let's, uh, let's roll it back mm -hmm. in. We had a good run, right? So, yeah. Awful, yeah. Awfully convenient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I guess the apocalypse enjoys even numbers. See, to me, mm -hmm. it always seems just like the height of hubris to think that the apocalypse is going to somehow be a tidy number on our calendar. Like, it just seems freaking ridiculous. Or have anything to do with our concept of time. Period. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Do they not realize that we made a major transition back maybe, well, what was it, 2,000 years ago or 2,012 years ago with a uh, adopting the Roman calendar? You know, it, it is the way it is, what with our leap year and all that, for a reason. And it's for our convenience. But really, It is for our convenience, yeah. and somehow our convenience is tied into the cosmic fate of the entire universe and world. It's just ridiculous. We're I'm stressful. trying to remember there was actually like a September in like the 1600s or something like that where there's only like 14 days in September because they realized that the Roman or the Gregorian calendar was all kinds of messed up and so they had to actually pull out a bunch of days in September to <laughs> <Yeah>. fix it. <laughs> yeah. Ay, ay, ay. Well, anyway, it looks like so far no apocalypse and potential pending apocalypse, but probably not the zombie apocalypse. No, I don't know about that, but we'll get onto that later. This is Listen, true. Yeah. it's the start of the worldwide bacon shortage, which will be the end of society as, as we, we know, know it. Well, at least the end of Tasty Track, Tasty Snacks. No bacon and no helium, so parties are going to suck. Completely. Oh, wow. 
Nope. Who's gonna make squeaky voices and eat bacon? My god. It's like the end. Kill me now. It's just the end. I do feel like when the bath salts thing came up, I feel like that is likely how news-wise the zombie thing will start. It'll pop up here and there and be kind of recurring cases, kind of like popping up on the map, and people are gonna be like, well, that's kind of weird and violent. And then the next thing you know, whoosh. You know, no. but, it, but it really feels like there's gonna be a couple like, man, somebody was eating somebody today, and then over here, somebody was eating somebody over here today, and then pretty soon it's like, oh shit, zombies! I, I would say with it, with with just a small margin of error, my prediction is if that starts to happen because of the bath salts incident, people will immediately assume it's bath salts. But anytime that someone is freaking eating somebody else, you know, raw, not not Jeffrey Dahmering it, which is horrible, and, you know, taking them to the comfort of their own home, but, you know, just you know, raw in the middle of the street. Anytime that you have that just sort eating of... eating them bareback? Yeah, eating them bareback. Eating... It's so bad. You a little bit. Eating it fresh off the vine, so to speak. Uh, they, it just keeps getting worse. Good night, everybody. Anyway, it attracts a lot of negative attention. I mean, they, they, the wholesale raw cannibalism is a special kind of awful, and right. it really does pop up in a hurry. Which means you're going to have a bunch of people surrounding them with cell phone cameras, putting it up on YouTube as they're getting. Nothing happens zombies. in this world anymore, you know, thanks to things like YouTube and camera phones. Like, there's nothing that is not on the internet right now. You know, if Joe fell over on his face and I happen to have my camera out and record it, I could have it on YouTube in about a minute. You could have it on YouTube before you finish falling down. True. I can't help but wonder, though, if the zombie apocalypse starts to happen, if there's a little bit of a pause between, you know, the initial outbreak and then, oh shit, if Think Geek will get some kind of related swag up there before it all goes down, because I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but zombie bath salts are on Think Geek. Uh, <laughs> shit. And it happened... That week. Yeah. Uh, it happened so quickly that when I saw it, I'm like, ah, is that in bad taste? A little <laughs> bit. Yes, oh, the it, answer is yes. Too soon? Yeah. Yes, it, the it, answer it, is it, yes. It, it, people flavored jerky would have been in bad taste. Uh, well, a little like, long I wonder, No, no, no. I wonder if that's what's going to happen next because, you know, they have like canned unicorn. So perhaps <laughs> we can have canned man. Uh, a little song like They do call that man witch. <laughs> We're still in housekeeping. Yes, this is bad. All right, I think that's all we've got for housekeeping today. So let's go ahead and move on to zombie news. <laughs> Welcome to Geek Life Zombie News. Still no zombie outbreak. The Brian, you had some news for us today. Yes, um, I'll save the hostess thing for the rest of the gang, but. I've been doing some research into the whole zombie bee uh, phenomenon. Zombies. The zombies phenomenon. As Evidently, there's been like rage virus zombies. Yes, yes, there have been. And I looked into it, and I was just like, what the f***? <laughs> because I was looking at it, and I'm seeing that how it's happening is it's like a parasitic fly that will, like, inject its larvae into live honeybees. And then they'll start acting a little crazy and going out at nights and stuff like that while, you know, the larvae is basically incubating in the body and eating it to death. So it's like, yeah, of course it's going to act a little crazy. It's being eaten to death from the inside out. So I was just looking at that. I'm like, that's a zombie bee? Fuck that noise. That's all I have to say about that. Well, you know, those are the closest things that we've ever actually experienced to a zombie-type virus is some kind of a host parasite. You know, you've got, what is it, the fungal thing? What is that called? 
I don't know exactly what it's called, but it, it, it infects It's famous slugs. for infecting slugs. It's famous for Animals. infecting there, ants. There are two different ones. Right. And, but that general style of that right. kind of fungi type thing, instead of it actually being, you know, I mean, I guess, I don't know, it's still a living organism, but I mean, as much as a virus, really. It, it, but yeah. it's not like a sentient being with arms and legs and a plan. Yeah. yeah. It's it really, you know, it's a fungus. Yeah, but there's a difference between a fungus and a gestating baby fly things. Yeah, it'd be like, man, you got an alien egg in your stomach. You're actually yeah, kind yeah. of funny. It's like, exactly. no shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's more face hugger than it is zombie. Face hugger. Yeah, but I mean, to be fair, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some kind of host something involved in, you know, a potential eventuality of actual humanoid zombie type thing. And really, the, the term zombie doesn't come from The Walking Dead. It comes from entranced humans in... What is it, Haiti? Yeah. Voodoo. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It's a voodoo thing. Or yeah, so... Right, exactly. It's a voodoo thing. I mean, there was never any idea that they were actually dead dead. It was more of like, you're enthralled. If anybody's geeky, like, sort of in the realm of fantasy style, type stuff, like swords and shields and magic, you'll be familiar with the term thrall. And you understand the word enthrall, being enthralled with something, but being a thrall, supposedly a vampire or something in, you know, D&D could, in theory, thrall a peasant or something like that into being, okay, like Renfield yeah, in Renfield. the classic Bram Stokers is an excellent example of a thrall. Mm -hmm. yeah. Good example. Renfield's like probably the most popular culture, widespread version of a thrall. But you'll see thralls in a lot of different things, and a lot of the time it has to do with being under control of something that has the ability to kind of reach in and muck around in your mind. So whether they can compel you like a vampire, whether it's some kind of mind magic like a mage or a warlock or something like that. But that's not uncommon, and so it really feels like that might be not from the magic side of things, but from some kind of an infection side of things that kind of rewires you to do its bidding, and its bidding so happens to turn you kind of feral and angry and raw and make you do weird things and be less, like, you know, turn off your self-preservation zone and just kind of be focused on them because, you know, all of a sudden you're not the pilot anymore and, you know, this thing growing in you doesn't really give a shit whether or not you survive as long as it can you can survive long enough to make its spores explode out of your head or something. <laughs> that, to me, feels like probably a pretty likely version. Anyway. There's actually an old, old, old movie that I once watched with Biggs, who was on the podcast a couple of times. Long ago, been. in the early yeah, days. in the early days. Almost a year ago now. Yeah, he hasn't been on since the Chronicle podcast. Wow, it was a long yeah. time ago. So, yeah. Good movie. Came out of Blu-ray recently. Watch it. Anyway. Yes, but like he and I watched an old movie called White Zombie, and it is all about the whole like voodoo zombie thrall thing. <laughs> I can't remember much of the movie. Frankly, it was very forgettable in my mind. I just remember that was like one of the first zombie movies and it was about the voodoo style zombie. Definitely. Well, you know, the first George Romero, Night of the Living Dead, never called zombies at all in the movie. Uh, not even ghouls, just the, Which are the, the recently dead. Ghouls, for those who do not know, because they're synonymous with zombies now. Are, Which is not correct. It's not correct. They originally came from uh, the Arabic, and they were more like vampires, uh, things you would run across in the desert that were either mockeries of humans or were once human beings, and they would negotiate with you for your life and or just kill you. They were cunning creatures that were much more powerful than you, didn't, you know, shuffle, stumble along. Were they related to the jinn? They may not have been directly related to them, but they were definitely a product of that culture. Jinn, genie sort of thing. I would say that in modern fantasy mythos, the ghoul occupies kind of a similar sort of space as zombies in our minds, but that's really more because of some of the markers of their existence. It's not uncommon for them. They're... I remember hearing that they're all about eating dead flesh, and oh, so yeah. it's not uncommon for them to be chilling in graveyards. Uh, graveyards and just be cr 
creepy and grody and nasty. And so at first look, maybe they look kind of zombie-like, you know, and they're chilling out in a graveyard and they're eating human bodies. And so you're thinking, oh, that's a zombie, but that's not a zombie. Yeah. And ghouls are sons of bitches. They're really, really tough, really, really strong, you know, able to kind of manipulate things and look different. And, you know, that's my understanding. I kind of always thought of them as more like flesh eating, but more ethereal kind of things. Closer to a ghost than a zombie in some ways. Not from what I've heard. I've heard them being very physical. Very flesh and blood, yeah. More like the modern interpretation of vampires. So they sparkle in the sunlight? I would say more like the older interpretation of vampires, which is like like eating. Like, yeah. actually eating instead of just drinking and sexy business. Oh, like the, Chinese the, vampires. The original vampires back in the Bram Stoker. The real drinkers of blood, yeah. Yeah, but uh, they weren't strong. They weren't fast. They were rat-faced, yeah. kind of. They were really kind of vermin, sort of, of yeah. the monster world. Really kind but, of awful and just yeah. bl- but blood drinkers, but not necessarily perfect predator like they become. We've made yeah. them into something noble. Right, but ghouls are really powerful. They have a lot of magic. And they're very yeah. intelligent. Mm-hmm. So, eh. Often in league with necromancers. Yeah. <laughs> damn necromancers. Ugh. Anyway. <laughs> Off subject. Those guys. those guys are just jicks. So, what's it? It's so, the inflection on jerk. Okay. <laughs> I speak it's like, well, get a job. <laughs> who's, old enough, who's old enough to recognize Denny's menu? <laughs> Come on. Strong Bad, that's what it was called. That's what it was yeah. called. Strong Bad. If you went to the place where you could get Strong Bad, the website is homestarrunner.com, uh-huh. and the heading for the web address was Denny's Menu. Because <laughs> it was like maybe Denny's Menu or Denny, but it was, it was yeah. Den- it was Denny's. Denny's, but it's like the guy's name is Denny who created it. <laughs> nice. Which is awesome. If you don't know what Strong Bad is, first of all, you uh, fucking missed out. Strong Bad is uh, magnificent. It's still, it's still going. It's still going. It's still great. Yeah. That All that stuff is amazing. It was something that we were into over a over 10 years ago yeah mm-hmm. uh, but still still funny shit I remember when I was like touring um, my sister's campus at Kenyon and I was looking around in the English department and one of the professors had on the door just a printed out picture of Homestar Runner and underneath it just said seriously and nice. I just started busting up like mad That's so good so good. essentially it's like the early seriously <laughs> so Strong Bad and all the whole Homestar Runner thing was like the early Flash cartoons Uh, It's sort of in the era of the Joe cartoon stuff, if you guys remember that, where, you know, the awful, just violent, ridiculous Flash anime. Basically, when people are like, oh, animation is accessible because Flash, gooey, gooey. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so there was some other zombie news we were going to talk about. The Hostess Company had something come up. Who wants to talk about that? The admin has been volunteered. I've been pointed at. Well, as of the morning of the recording of this podcast, Hostess has closed its doors presumably forever. That means the Twinkie is no more. At the very least, the Hostess Twinkie is no more. Yeah, they were talking about auctioning off some of their stuff, and so you may see it in some form, but it's still kind of nerve-wracking because we're all depending on (laughs) unopened unopened Hostess products for the apocalypse because that shit can survive anything. Listen, there are two things that will survive a nuclear apocalypse. Cockroaches and Twinkies. That is... It. But here's the thing, the important thing. First of all, because Hostess closed its doors, everybody's been making a mad dash to get all the Twinkies they possibly can to consume them for nostalgia's sake. Second of all, the Hostess factor in this is extraordinarily important. Even if Twinkies come back, they're not going to be Hostess Twinkies anymore. Hostess be is Hershey's Twinkies. They're or... officially going to be no more Hostess. 100% today was the last day. Now, here's why that is important. In order for Twinkies to be manufactured by another company, Hostess has 
has to liquidate all its assets. In order for all of the assets by Hostess to be liquidated, they first have to get permission from the courts. In order for the courts to actually approve this, they actually have to go through the whole... Judicial yeah. system. They have to go through the whole judicial system. Now, for those of you who are familiar with American politics and American government, this is going to take a damn long time. So, theoretically, it's quite plausible that Hostess will not be able to liquidate its assets before December 21st, 2012. Therefore, it is a sign of the apocalypse. Golf yes. clap for the admin. Exposition well played, well played. I actually explained this to my boss earlier this afternoon, and he just <laughs> stared at me for a really long time, and I just went back to listening to my music. Did his ears start bleeding? No, just, <laughs> he, he doesn't understand. I also refer to, uh, this is kind of off topic a little bit, but just to give like people a perspective into my world as a quote-unquote normal person, I refer to uh, shadows in Photoshop when they're too blown out, when everything is too dark. The program that we use throws up a blue highlight, and I call it Wizard Sparkles. <laughs> so, <laughs> working with me in an office is just one gigantic confusing mess because I'll walk up to your workstation and say, hey, listen, there are some wizard sparkles up in here. <laughs> you gotta fix that. You gotta adjust your blacks. Meanwhile, my coworker will refer to it as bring in the blacks, which is just all kinds of awkward. So, oh my. Yeah, so he, he's a big proponent of bringing in the blacks, and I'm just saying you gotta get rid of the wizard sparkles. And the normal people in the office building just don't like us a lot because it's just really strange. We have our own personal memes, and it's kind of sad when it's a two-person meme. I'm not destined to be a normal office worker. No, 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 none of us are. We, it's so funny because we'll have little jokes that bounce around our group of friends, and we just run with them, and run with them, and run with them, and they grow, and they spread among our new friends, and then pretty soon, somebody who doesn't know the joke is going to be hanging out with all of us that do, and something will happen, and we'll all start laughing, and they're going to just be like... What? <laughs> it's like that old joke where somebody gets thrown in jail and they're hanging out with all the people in jail and the other inmates are like, hey, let's tell some jokes. And one of the guys goes, 34, and everybody starts laughing. And he's like, what? It's like, all we have to do is stand around and tell jokes. You know, we're just... All we do is we've, we've, we've numbered them, and we just say the number, and then we know the joke, and then we can enjoy ourselves. It's like, it's kind of like that. Like, we just don't even have to go into it. We just know the joke, and we can goof around about it. And Two these words. four people are just sitting there just like... Two yeah. words. Stupid stick. Exactly. <laughs> That's my I, dad's word. I call it that now just... I can't help it. This is a thumb drive. We call uh, a thumb drive or a flash drive a stupid stick. Because the problem is, is that my father, while we were working on websites long ago, he would be looking for the thumb drive and he would not remember what it is because he'd be too burned out working on some late night project. And he'd go, where's the, where's the, where's the stupid, the stupid stick? Where's the stupid stick? And we'd be like, the stupid stick, huh? And he's like, yeah. you know, the, the the thumb drive. Ugh, the thumb drive. Get this stupid stick over here. So pretty quickly it just became the stupid stick and it's just like completely straight faced, not angry, just where's the stupid stick? That's yeah. what it is. It's In the name fact, for it. Like, I name all of my thumb drives stupid stick and if I do not name it that or I name it something else, I will immediately lose that thumb drive or <laughs> run over it or something. You Some ran over thumb drives. They I don't... ran over more than your, three your th thumb your drives. Thumb drives, they put in their work. Yes, they do. <laughs> anyway, any other news? Oh, yes, one more thing about zombies we wanted to talk and we're getting really late here but we need to take a musical break quick here but i wanted to talk a little bit about the movie world war z coming out we saw a trailer for it just before we started recording and i ran into it earlier this week on ign.com and 
have some mixed feelings about that. I actually went and read or listened to the World War Z audiobook, which is very excellent, by the way. Actually, Max Brooks in the book is voiced by Max Brooks, and it's awesome, and it's Brooks or Brook? Brooks. Brooks. He's the son of Mel. Oh, okay. Son of Mel Brooks. Son of, son of the great Jewish comedian what brought us Robin Hood Men in Tights and many others. Oh, yes. History Dracula Dead and Loving one. It. So good. Oh, but, yeah, that's interesting. I know what the hell, that's hell of Mel Brooks. Hmm. He's Van Helsing in that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's I funny. I was listening to the original uh, Dracula on audiobook. And I was just imagining Van Helsing. <laughs> yes, awesome. <laughs> but yeah, you have to know where to stand. Exactly. <laughs> I've been to many staking. Anybody who is interested in zombie stuff knows Max Brooks. Max Brooks is like the zombie godfather. He is considered kind of the modern godfather of zombie survival. You know, he's the guy that wrote, literally wrote the book on zombie survival. <laughs> it's the book. There are books on zombie survival, but he literally wrote the zombie survival guide. It is kind of the go-to thing. It is what is on every survivalist's shelf, even if they're not a zombie survivalist. They're just, it's just good information, good ideas, just excellent. And he moved on based on his research and his book and his theories to write about his theories of how things would go in a zombie outbreak. And it is fascinating and excellent and in-depth and takes it in interesting directions and it shows that he has a true depth of knowledge and an incredible mind to come up with and create scenarios and play them out in an incredibly logical way that you just wouldn't think of. It's not theatrical, it's not crazy, it's just like, wow, that's probably exactly what would happen when you're listening to it, but you never would have thought about that. Because, you know, things in life, they take a natural course, and he's amazing how he can kind of foresee how they would unfold. It's great. A very excellent book, and I highly recommend it. Yeah, I read it. Yes. Of course you read it. Of course it did. <laughs> Shocker. But, but yeah, they decided to make a big-ass movie of it, full-on Hollywood style. Brad Pitt's the main actor. He's going to play, I guess, Max Brooks in it. <laughs> <laughs> that is... You know, I get the he's feeling... He's going to play the main character. He's going to play the main character, but Max Brooks is sort of kind of the main character. See, the way that the book is done is that Max Brooks plays Max Brooks, basically, and he is sort of like cataloging... Max the Brooks st stars in Max Brooks. <laughs> as Max Brooks. No, he, Max Brooks he, he basically stars... He basically goes around after the war has happened and has... He's being a journalist. Yeah, he's a journalist, he's essentially. A, he's a chronicler compiling the reports from how it all went down and how humanity has ultimately survived it. I don't think that Brad Pitt is necessarily going to be the Max Brooks character because he looks like he's having a much more I Am Legend-esque active role. Well, he seems to be, you know, yeah, he seems to be jumping, fighting it. Jumping to he helicopters. seems like some special forces guy. So I'll be interested to see, like, like we should check out the IMDB and see yeah. what it is that his character's name is. Because it, it wasn't Max. It wasn't uh, Max. The wife was, said nope. that at one point. Okay, so, you know, my guess is that it's probably going to be either based in the incredibly rich world that he created during the book and just take place somewhere around there, or perhaps be one of the characters that he interviewed and just sort of an in-depth look into that guy's role in the world, War Z. But... Exciting. Yeah. It's exciting. It's it. I don't, it looked like the zombie apocalypse has happened, and only one man can turn the tide. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. But the, you okay. know, commercials can kind of be like that. I really hope that yeah. it's. That I hope that it's faithfulish to the book. It's already not real faithful that they've had that it's fast-moving zombies. That's a huge departure. That's, and not, that, that's not even a Brooksian zombie type. Yeah, no. Which, which Brooksian is my word to define anything that falls within the canon of Max Brooks. Yeah. It's a beautiful way of describing what he does. Brooksian. Brooksian. Yes. <laughs> sounds official. <laughs> but, yeah. It's exciting to have zombie stuff in popular culture become more than just 
kind of underground geeky business and mm -hmm. start to step out into the light. There's growing pains, I guess, is probably the best way to put it when anything like that happens. But I think it's a good thing. I think it's a worthwhile thing to have that sort of question posed to the average person who just lives in a blind haze of wool over their eyes and just kind of goes through their day and eat, sleep, you know, work for the weekend, not think about anything, not worry, you know, oh, if something happens, the police will come help me. And it just doesn't appreciate the reality of how dangerous things could be and all that sort of stuff. So it's kind of exciting to bring survivalism to the fore, even if it's in an entertaining capacity. It's exciting. Well, this is kind of the first instance where we're going to have a serious look at the zombie apocalypse as far as popular culture goes. I mean, you know, Zombieland definitely had a, a great deal of comedy aspects in it. Hell, they killed Bill Murray. That was, <laughs> that was hilarious. Shaun of the Dead, once again, another comedy. So the whole zombie apocalypse... It's either comedies or it's horror, and this doesn't seem like either. Right, well, horror is its own take on the zombie thing. Like, I think this is the first instance where we're going to have, for lack of a better word, an objective view of how... Well, it's going to be a drama. Right. It's going to be a drama. It's maybe drama leaning towards action mm -hmm. of some kind, but that is definitely not something we've seen. And if we have seen something like that, listeners, email us in, yeah. geeklife at pandamanga.com. Tell us what you think, if there's some other movies out there that... Well, isn't Dawn of the Dead the remake one? What? Um, no. no. See, most... Like, it's pretty safe to say that most, if not all, of the zombie movies out there are either kind of one of two categories. You've got horror, which is on some level meant to surprise, shock, scare, yeah. creep, you know, or is meant to be funny, mm -hmm. you know? Fair enough. You've got all Oz, the you've Return got, of the Living Dead, and then, like, Rave of the Dead, Flight of the Living, yeah. Yeah, Aw, Zombies. <laughs> yeah. Aw, so I, I guess know. this is the next logical Die, step you after... Die, bastards. I guess this is the next logical step after The Walking Dead television show. Which is amazing and continues to be excellent. I just wish that they would stay with the canon, because if they do another thing that is just so grievously against the canon that they've set up, I might send hate mail. And I never really bothered to write a letter. The admin is, is <laughs> so, crumpling over here in because frustration. Because <laughs> all of our listeners are like, didn't we have this exact conversation in the last Zombie podcast? A, I am a broken record, but that is what it takes to get my message across. <laughs> Yes, I agree. You know, it's just, it's the common problem, man. You can't get across, and this is actually something we talked about in our last podcast. Comic books is such an excellent form for telling the story that you want to tell in its truest, most complete form. Mm -hmm. You take it anywhere else, you're going to have to make concessions. You're going to have to let somebody else get their hands in the pie. You're going to have to do it short, fast, dirty, because it needs to be done quickly. As soon as other people start to get involved and the costs start to get high, it's not yours anymore. It's everybody's, you know? And speaking of comics, I think we're about to get into our review of Dead Ahead. So why don't we take a musical break and jump on into the review?
welcome back guys. So we are going to be reviewing Dead Ahead by Mel Smith and Clark Castillo. And this was drawn by Alex Nino, who has a pretty cool art style. Yeah, so some of the things that they talk about, and actually we had an opportunity to have a really good conversation with Mel at the HorrorCon, which hopefully we'll get that content up. Sorry again, guys, I'm totally dragging my feet on that. But we had a really good conversation with Mel, and even a longer and even better conversation after the mic went off when it was more casual and chill. And he actually told us that the gentleman that did the penciling and inking, Alex Nino, is actually a cover artist, normally. So that is kind of an interesting spin on things, because cover artists often kind of stick to cover art. You know, there's very much a specific kind of look. Way more detailed and... Which is what this book is like. It has a very different look than most comic books do, and I would say that that has got to have something to do with Nino being a cover artist. So, Dead Ahead by Mel Smith. Why don't we just open the floor to everybody here and see what you guys thought. So first off, I just want to say that we're only reviewing issue one. That's true. We got the trade, and it... There's a kind of a clean break here when they sort of finish up and get to a big, huge boat, sort of like a landmark in the story. And we decided to stop there. That way we would be able to more correctly get the first issue feel. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, one of the first things that I noticed on here was I saw that it has on the bottom of it forward by Kevin Eastman and I just kind of like giggled giddily and JP was like what is that? It's Kevin Eastman. He's like so? I'm like that's one of the creators of the Ninja Turtles man <laughs> and and so you know I thought that that was really kind of cool that you have Eastman's doing a forward on this but my basic thought of this noir walking dead on a boat. Yeah. I'm on a boat! <laughs> Somebody had to do it. It's I, over. We can move on. <laughs> I, 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 I would have, you know, if the voice was there. Right. Well, I, so many opportunities to sing so in this that I've missed. <laughs> <laughs> this is an interesting book. I thought it was really cool. I don't think that there's a whole heck of a lot of things that go into the zombie situation on the water. Yeah. And it's a unique one. And that's one of the things that I actually enjoyed the most about kind of bouncing back to our previous subject, World War Z, the book, is talking about how so many people tried to escape out to sea and inevitably somebody was bitten. Just shit goes to hell just like it does in the zombie apocalypse and in serious pandemics. Inevitably, there are people, wherever people end up going, that are infected. And so you've got zombies, you know, that's like one of the biggest ways that they spread, that Max Brooks theorizes they will spread, is through the oceans. Because they don't have to really breathe, they don't really have to, I mean, his, like, undead version. They just keep on trucking, and so... Even they, if they're not, like, walking on the seafloor, they hop into the ocean, and just kind of float around. They're carried somewhere. Yeah. Right, exactly. And so they just kind of wash up on the shore. Thing. You know, it's not like, oh, we get an infected plane coming into LAX. Yeah. It's like, people just started walking up on the streets and, you know, walk up onto, you, you know, Ocean Avenue in Santa Monica. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's crazy. So, I thought, you know, that was kind of like, yeah, this is a really interesting idea. It's the first thing that popped in my head when we were at the, at the comic show, or at the horror con, talking to Mel about it and being like, man, that's a really interesting take, man. Yeah. I'm glad somebody's really investigating into that. And it looks like they do a really good job, I think, at taking a look at what it would be like out there and the kind of isolation you would feel. And mm -hmm. It gets again into JP's favorite kind of horror, which is the desert island horror, where people are trapped in a small little group and kind of human drama dynamics between people squeezed together, afraid of some kind of external thing, not really trusting each other. Maybe somebody's bitten, maybe somebody's not. What's going on? All that stuff is rich literary territory, I feel. And then it takes an even like less looked at point of view. Uh, okay, we managed to survive. Now what? Right. We got off, we're out, we had made it out to sea, well, oh. I know, so much <laughs> fiction is about getting rescued, 
mm-hmm. or getting out to sea, getting to the boat and driving off into the sunset. But nobody talks about, and then, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think the book starts off with a captain writing a journal. I think they've been out there for a year now. Oh, yeah. He's it, like, uh, yeah. He just jumps right over all of the ocean zombies exactly like the outbreak time there's like maybe two pages that illustrate what happened it talks about yeah we survived and in hindsight maybe that wasn't the best thing after all right Mm -hmm. i think it stems from the fact that most people don't want to take an active role in their own survival a lot of times people want to to push off that responsibility onto a higher authority whether that is their immediate group leader as we see in the walking dead with rick or or the mayor or, the mayor, or people going, oh, the government will save us, or some other de facto in charge figure. The Eighth um, Henry will save us. <laughs> the Eighth Henry will it, save it, us. In all honesty, I will do my best. <laughs> well, that's kind of what part of the comment that I made earlier about the reason why I thought it was so good for something like World War Z and zombie stuff in general to be coming into the public consciousness, even if it's in a entertainment capacity, is. You know, the things that we watch on television, we think about. It's kind of in our mind. You know, it's bouncing around in there, that information. And and hopefully it's good information. And hopefully it's something that, you know, provokes thoughtful, you know, exchanges between friends and maybe some introspection about life and the world and danger and dealing with things and all that. And I think that anything that heads in a survivalist direction is probably healthy to have come up every once in a while, if not more regularly every once in a while. And that's one of the things that I was saying earlier when we were talking about that is... People seem to think, oh, I don't have to worry about my self-preservation. Somebody else is in charge of that. I'm just in charge of going to work and pushing my pencil and then taking care of my kids and driving them to school and paying my bills. Like, that's my job. Mm -hmm. That's what I do. It's the police's job to protect me. They get paid to do that. I don't get paid to protect me. I'm not going to do something I don't get paid for. That's what I'm. That's not me. I don't spend my time on that. That's not my job. It's a world of potential zombies and victims. It's ex- exactly yeah. it. And it's really, we, years ago, my family unit, uh, extended family, was kind of touched by uh, some drama with somebody who was ended up being kind of diagnosed as, you know, potentially psychopathic type thing and or sociopathic. Mm. And uh, I don't really know if there was any real investigation into that to the point where it was like, yes, this person is or is not. But as a result of that, I was kind of like, well, let me really let me really look up that word. Because we all kind of think we know what it means, but we don't really know what it means. And the term that they used, and I can't remember off the top of my head if it's sociopathic or psychopathic and if there's a huge division between the two. But anyway, what the doctor had suggested that might be a potential with this person uh, is that they don't really understand consequence they're not really capable that's actually psychopath a psychopath doesn't fully understand the consequences the lines of good and evil are kind of blurred in their mind sociopath understands understands it it, but has no uh, connection to it yeah right exactly a sociopath is much more functioning a sociopath is like an effective serial killer (laughs) you know Um, yeah exactly dexter is a sociopath a psychopath is someone who like there's a disconnect there there's actually like a disability in some way instead of just not like, instead of being incapable of emoting in any way, it's not actually getting it. And so the the thing that was brought up is, this, like, if this person decides to do something dangerous or violent, there's no thought process of, oh, well, I really am angry and I want to go attack this person, but if I do that, then this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. You know, I might go to jail, I get picked up by the cops, somebody might defend themselves, maybe I'll get hurt, try and, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like those things don't enter into the equation so with somebody who doesn't think that way. And it kind of blew my top. And because, you know, you think, you think you understand the survivalism, you think like, oh, you know, especially talking about the zombie stuff all the time with you guys. But there's a certain amount of 
wow, it really hits close to home and all of a sudden it really like it settles into your bones that, wow, we're really just not safe. If somebody really doesn't give a shit about the responsibilities that they're supposed to have and the consequences that our society has created, they're capable of doing a whole lot of dangerous and terrible damage to you before they get caught. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, who cares if they end up in jail if you're dead? It's like... <laughs> it's not an effective band-aid. Exactly. And, <sighs> and so it's just all the more reason to advocate being able to take care of yourself and being prepared, having a bug-out bag, taking some martial arts classes, going to the gym, being able to run, being able to jog, being able to take care of yourself in some capacity when someone is out to get you. You know, yeah, I mean, the zombies is a great allegory for hungry, starved people that are just trying to steal all your shit. You know, maybe somebody isn't going to come and eat you, but maybe they're going to come and, you know, eat your dog or maybe come and cook you up or something. You know, maybe it's not that raw, wholesale carnage like that in the zombie style, but zombies are a fantastic allegory for seriously starving and death desperate people, and people like that, they don't operate into the, well, what are my consequences? They're like, well, I need to eat now. Let's do this. Desperate mm -hmm. times call for desperate measures. Exactly. And ultimately, what it's come down to is throughout mankind's crawl to where we are now, which I like to look at as we're at the top, you know, we've had to weather the weather, we've had to weather animals, and, we, and then finally, when we've come... We're to definitely the, point, the alpha predator at this point. Now, now that we are top dog... We prey upon ourselves in earnest. People to people, that is where the problem is. Whether it's before the apocalypse, you know, you don't hear about, you know, well, you do, but very rarely it makes a big deal. Oh, a shark attack. How many people go out to the ocean? One shark out of every. Except for the last two weeks here in California. That, more often than not, they attack surfers because right. they look like seals. See, that's the thing, though, is that out in nature, when there's violence, there's a reason. Somebody's mm -hmm. hungry, somebody's got to eat. It, or somebody looks a, like yeah. something. You know, it's like an if-then sort of thing. And, you know, among humans, it seems a little bit maybe less predictable. And, you know, and I think mm -hmm. that perhaps it could be because we've shifted away, like you were saying in our crawl, we've shifted away from that survival of the fittest if-then sort of thinking, and we've shifted into living by these ironclad rules that we've decided that society has just been like, well, this is what happens. The police protect you, and you do your job, and the plumber fixes your piping, and the mechanic fixes your car, and all this diversify and specialize is, is great for society, but it's terrible for self-defense. Like, terrible for self-defense. Yeah. I remember one of the early, early zombie podcasts that we had, we were talking about good places and bad places to hole up in a zombie apocalypse. And we talked about how houses are kind of bad because, you know what, they're just designed to be shelter from the elements, not shelter from people, really, unless you've got a compound or something. Possibly exactly. animals. And, yeah, animals, exactly. And, you know, one of the things that always sounds like an interesting idea, maybe a great idea, is to get out under the ocean, you know? Back yeah. to our story here. That seems like a great idea, and it, <laughs> and the story doesn't look as much of a good idea. No. <laughs> As I went into it, I was like, oh, on the ocean, that sounds like a great plan. And then after reading this, it's kind of like, oh, shit, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, yeah a, a boat is only as valuable as the ports that you can use to get resupplied. Right, exactly. Because yeah. you know, it doesn't seem like, realistically, you're going to be equipped to completely live off of the ocean. You can't drink the water, really. No. You can't. You can, I'm allergic to seafood, so yeah. that's got to yeah. suck allergic to seafood, so there that is. Yeah. Now, there is one scenario in which this would work. One, if it's a science vessel that might have some reverse osmosis machines going on, so you have your water supply. Right. And if you were in the Gulf, because, I mean, fuel is just freely available right there in the water. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so, thank, thank you, BP. BP. Yes. Shit. 
preparing you for the zombie apocalypse since 2010. <laughs> so let's we're so sorry. We're so sorry. Yeah. The, so we're jumping off topic. Let's yeah. get back to the book here. So Dead Ahead, what did you guys think? We already said that it's an interesting premise, but how did you feel about how it was done? I really enjoyed the little, like, I know that they aren't part of the story. The story's interesting, but the little doodles. The artist took some liberties with you know, outside of the canon of the story. So you'll see zombies chasing people, and the zombies are doing kind of funny non-zombie things. They're clearly zombies. They're going to try to eat people, but one of them was riding a bike, you know, and it's like, wait, okay. It's, it's just kind of like lost secretly in the blurb. It's like, like where's Waldo, Waldo yeah, zombie? There's a lot of little hidden gems in this. Like, there's the sequence where somebody throws acid on a zombie to try and stop it, and you see the snap, crackle, pop yeah. are the sound effects. I'm like, that's that part, so that part awesome. kind of irked me, though, because, I mean, maybe I don't really know a lot about the sea and boating, but I'm thinking, how often is there just going to be a big jug with acid yeah. written on the front of it in your hull? It's like, oh, down here by the engine, I like to keep me some acid <laughs> to acid wash the engine, because that's what I... What? No, no. Zombies! That's why I have it. He was acid washing his denim. Oh, there yeah. it is. Oh, it was my hipster boat. Hipster but boat. that was really one of the few places where I was kind of like, what? Yeah, like, well, it seemed like a terrible weapon in the first place because, I mean, with zombies... I think it was really more an opportunity to have a, like, melted zombie come after somebody because right. that was f***ing awesome. Yes, it was. <laughs> but, I mean, in the real world, I mean, acid is a good weapon because it's painful. It will stop somebody in their tracks because, you know, the flesh is burning off of them. However, zombies can be set on fire and keep coming. So, yeah. I think that was just... I don't know. I, I think it was really just a, like a definitely just a cool opportunity for an awesome shot. Yeah. yeah. I think that. And to put Snap, Crackle, Pop into your thing. Which is completely it. great. Yes. I don't know. I thought that this was a really interesting book. I think there's a couple things that it suffers from. Um, like, I would say probably the single thing that bothers me the most, and it, it's really got nothing to do with the writing or the art, it has to do with some of the text choices. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, the dark on dark. With the dark the... on dark with like a really light sort of outer glow on yeah, the text. I, I had to like get. You had to really get nose on the, the page. Yeah, you just had to squint. You had to get in deep. You had to really have a nice bright light. There was a couple parts that it's simply just difficult to read. Yeah. And let's be honest, this is kind of a wordy book. And not, wordy. It's, it's not too dense. wordy. It's not. It's not Alan Moore wordy. No, it's, but it's, it's very dense. But it's dense. There's a lot to read there. It takes time to read through this, which is good. It's a great story. So you you want to want to read yeah. the text there. You want it to not be a hassle to read the text there. And I'm sure that there's a lot of really good reasons that text is small and in kind of a wispy sort of font. And in some cases a little bit more difficult to read because like it's like I said it's small but there's really no excuse at all to the terrible choice of having that kind of outer glow on the text the dark on dark is mm -hmm. terrible yeah. and actually I thumbed in a little bit to the, the next issue and it seems like they actually do a stroke on the text of white so that it literally is like surrounded by white you know, which like is a much smarter way of Which going. is a really good way to go. And yeah. so, I mean, there's definitely yeah. some improvements right out of the gate into the second one. But that really stood out to me. And all things considered, if the way the text is done is what really stands out to me as like, that's probably the biggest complaint I have. That's not bad. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a problem because it's the way you communicate a story. And at the end of the day, a comic book is about communicating a story. Mm -hmm. But that's not comic breaking. It's not a deal breaker. What I found, the drawings, the... Um, 
it was very inconsistent. Almost impressionistic, you know? Very impressionistic. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that it's not, like, in a bad way. And some of it is because you've got so much action beats going on versus a still frame. It's a lot easier to just put more detail into the still frame. But, yeah, it's part of the unique style to it that the art actually kind of changes with, like, various scenes. In fact, some of the action beats in this book reminded me of colored versions of Gonzo, the uh, autobiography oh, yeah. of... Hunter S. Thompson. Mm -hmm. So it was very, very intriguing to me to see that going on where just the art style would just constantly change, but it wasn't like it was distracting and it wasn't like, you know, where we talk about in mainstream comics where you have in the middle of a certain run, you have a completely different artist who has a completely different style. No, it's definitely the same artist. It's just kind of mixed up here and there. I will venture a guess that perhaps the reason why that is, is that the artist is you know, his trade is really cover art mm -hmm. instead. And cover art, as I think any comic fan will agree, is not necessarily going to look just like everything else inside the book. And even from book to book, even if it's the same artist doing the covers, the covers aren't even going to necessarily look exactly the same. The characters yeah. may have, even down to different facial shape, maybe sometimes the foreheads will be a little larger, maybe the face will be a little more gaunt, maybe the clothes will stretch in a different way or something. It's like there's a little bit more freedom afforded to a cover artist than there is a, you know, inside the book artist. I wouldn't know what I would call that, <laughs> you know, but... A penciler. A pen, yeah, exactly. But, you know, your traditional penciler, like, the stuff has to be ironclad. I don't want to say repetitive, but it has to be consistent. You have to look at that character and go, oh, that's so-and-so, and then be able to thumb through the pages and go, there he is again. Yeah. There he is again. There's that guy again. There's all these little subtle things that create a character. And you can't just rely on the clothes that they're wearing and the color of their hair and the shape of their hair for it to be that way. And it seems kind of like that's what's going on in this one, is that there's no real consistency with the minutia of the character's face and body and all that sort of stuff. Well, I mean, here I just kind of opened up to a random page and we've got the character Red. She appears in four panels and in three of the four, she looks completely completely different? Yeah, completely no. different. You can tell it's her because she's got the same clothes on, she has the same hairstyle, she's got her glasses on her forehead. And she's got red hair. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. But they just she just looks like a completely different person. Yeah, I mean, especially this one here. Right, exactly. It's it's super, super stylized and I would say almost borders on kind of a Aeon Flux sort of look at times. At times. Yeah. Especially in like the high action. It's like characters' bodies have this sort of elasticity and flexible sort of nature. It seems like things get elongated in odd and strange ways, which is great in a dynamic scene, but it, it happens in places that isn't really necessary and really, I don't think, belong. Yeah. You know, I actually suspect that the first part you know, the initial draft was not done in pencil, but all in ink. You can kind of see that it seems like the entire thing was done in a very fine nib, and they just went for it, and it was done, and they painted it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if I agree with that, but I definitely feel like there was... I would not be surprised if this is actually pen nibs and India ink and not brushes so much. Right, well, I mean... Because it's very scratchy. I mean, not scratchy. It's very sharp-looking. Right, but I don't think pencils were ever involved with this. I think that the initial pass was all ink, and that was just it. Because, I mean, can you imagine some of these pieces, the anchor was going to go back in and redraw them? I don't think that these lines would have stayed. Yeah, 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 I, I would agree. I mean, I would agree that, you know, that's kind of the nice thing about penciling and then inking is that pencils can be rough, and even sometimes there's multiple drafts of the pencils especially like really messy pencil stuff, it's like almost your eye kind of picks the lines that it wants, even if it's a combination of lines. You know in your mind how you want it to look. And you go back over with the ink and you can get it 
pretty much just right. And yeah, you're under a time constraint, yeah, you're pushing forward, but at the same time, there's, I would say, only a small margin for the excuse of, well, it really isn't the way I want it. It's like, you should be able to make the comic look the way you want at the end of the day. Yeah. There's no, I mean, like, use reference photos, draw it again, you know, that sort of thing. And so I kind of assume, for the most part, that comics, when they come out, look the way the writer and artist wanted them to look. For the most part. There's some things that are changed, and like I said, I understand very well. Time constraints makes you push forward and maybe cause some repeat frames here and there to just simplify things, maybe do a less group shots and more close-ups and all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, you know, a character needs to look like the character. <laughs> yeah. But not, that's not to say that this isn't a gorgeous book, because if there's one word that jumps out to describe the art in this book, is beautiful. Yes. It is gorgeous and detailed and beautiful, but man, is it all over the place. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, because it is so gorgeous and beautiful, I was actually okay with the art being all over the place because the book itself like you know with tensions flaring and certain like the pacing just changes based upon the situation it's kind of a bit schizophrenic and so is the art and so it feels I feel very like, gestural it, yeah so it I don't know it just feels like it fits well I would say that the kind of the flexible nature of the characters seems to lend itself well to motion. Mm -hmm. There are some scenes yeah. in here that convey motion, like that one right there we're looking at here. There's this circular motion of a zombie sort of ripping someone and pulling them aside, and the zombie's lurched forward. And it's, it's just a couple pages in. It's bright and beautiful and amazing. And man, just the motion that can be achieved in this is just extraordinary. I mean, the, the artist is truly at the top of his game, for sure. Yeah. Just gorgeous stuff. And I love how, just story-wise, how you find out that this crew, this motley crew of, you know, people on the boat got together. Three-hour tour. It was. It was a three-hour tour. It's an all-day fishing tour. And they get back, and there's all kinds of hell going down on the docks. And the military boat comes up and is like, were you guys on shore? It's like, no, we've been out all day. Well, don't come within X so many kilometers, or oh, we will fire yeah, on yeah, you. Yeah, you need to go out five miles or more, yeah. and if you come back, we'll sink your boat and shoot you. Yeah, <laughs> no warnings. Yeah. So yeah, it was quite fascinating. I really enjoyed this book. I really yeah. enjoyed the art, and I really enjoyed the story. You know, it sounded like I was trashing the art a minute ago, but I was only pointing out some kind of oddities of it. But at the end of the day, I don't know if I would really want it drawn different. Yeah. I just think that to our listeners and to the people that are interested in finding out what's going on in the book and everything, I think it deserves to be said that it is unique in its art. It's not your typical consistent comic look. The inside pages are not the way that you would... It's like every single page on the inside is like a cover. The detail, the beauty, everything. It's just... I mean, this must have been incredibly huge time spent on the art in this book. Incredibly mm -hmm. meticulous, every page. Yeah. Look at that yeah. page. Damn. And... I think that one is a cover. Yeah, but you know, you can tell. You throw some bubbles on there and it looks like three pages back. It's crazy. That's true. Just, just, anybody else anything else they wanted to say about this? Or? Well, you know, this book, I, I got kind of nauseous reading it. Between the story pacing, had a really snap, snap, snap sort of action, and then pause for a scene, and then snap, snap, snap. Some introspective kind of reflection, yeah. and then yeah. wham, yeah. move forward. Yeah, then skip ahead a bunch of days, and then stop for a scene. You know, go and stop, go and stop, and that's just incredible. Incredibly visceral art. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and all the time. Not just the guts and blood flying everywhere, but how much detail is put into every single frame. It's making me focus, and then pull out, focus and pull out, and jump ahead in the story and pull out. Man, I was tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely, it, it's almost yeah. kind of taxing. Yeah. It can be in a good way. Yeah, we, as we said, it's very, very dense. 
I kind of would like to have seen a little bit more character development. Like, I would have liked mm -hmm. to have perhaps met the characters and spent yeah, the guy five the, or so pages with them fishing and before anything yeah. happened. Yeah, the Getting, guy who runs off for beers, like... Wait, there was a guy who was an asshole? I thought everyone was kind of into the survival. Right, thing. exactly. It seems like there's not a whole heck of a lot of time spent. I mean, it looks like they get into that more as they get deeper into the comic book. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't feel like there's much time spent, in the first issue at least, on getting you to care who the characters are. And that is hard when it's supposed to be a horror comic because inevitably terrible shit happens to the characters and if they are characters that you don't really know then you don't have any reason to give a shit when something terrible happens to somebody like that guy that ran off to get some beer and went down some alleyway and ended up getting a horde of zombies after him and you know later on gets hurt in some way it's kind of like oh man that looks terrible but who are you again you yeah. know yeah. it's like I don't really know to care who this person is and that's one of the things that you gotta have in a horror film is he's spend the first 10-20 minutes, I mean in a film, let's say, first 10-20 minutes getting to know people and it's sort of safe and comfortable, and then it descends into chaos, and you're like, no, this person I've known for 20 minutes is going to die. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, one thing is that we were actually going to read this whole comic and review it during the Paracast a few episodes back, mm -hmm. or a couple episodes back, and I actually read through chapter two. And so I actually got to read some things where they start doing some character development, and honestly, it started to fall apart for me. No, oh, did it? Um, that page that the admin opened up where you have all the frames of red, the monologue, instead of done by the captain, is done from her perspective. But the writing feels like it's still the captain, to the point where at, I wasn't 100% sure if it was red talking or if it was the captain talking as if he was thinking what Red was like thinking. It was kind of weird. It seemed like a confusing... It, it, it got right? confusing, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, why don't we go around and give our final scores for this one? Simply said a lot of stuff on it and elaborated quite a bit on how we feel. Everybody feel complete about kind of throwing in your two cents? Yeah, I yeah? think so. All right, well, let's go around. So... Brian, why don't you just jump back in? Give us your rating. I'm going to give it a three. Mm -hmm. three, three. Three issues out of five. Three issues out of five issues. It's good, but it is a really difficult read. It is taxing. It is dense. It takes longer to read. And because of that, it's just like, I'm not sure I'm willing to invest as much time and effort as I would other things. Like I said, it's very good and it's very beautiful, but as Joe was saying, it's kind of nauseous as far as it's pacing yeah. and all that and pulling you in and out. And mm -hmm. Sometimes I just don't want that. Yeah. yeah. Joe? Uh, I, as much as I enjoyed the art and the, the actual story, the, the pacing and the in and out, it was just so jarring that I'd have to give it a one and a half issues. Mm -hmm. Like, if I couldn't get into a groove in it, another so in like in another it, half like another issue or so. Half issue. It's like now I'm done. Yeah, yeah. Henry, I actually would like to give it four issues, uh, especially if they maintain the little amusing um, doodles that you know. Because I, I look at the whole page while I'm reading something, I look for those little Easter eggs. A lot of times, not even thinking about looking, and I just go, "Oh, well, that was kind of fun." And it is always good when somebody packs in. Yeah, and they've clearly taken the effort to blend in with the story. I mean, you have to look hard at the page anyway to actually read the script on it. But while you're doing that, they've left something else there for you. You know, and that's nice. It lets me know that they care enough to share that little bit of humor with me. Mm -hmm. And the story's not bad, and the art's good, so... Four, four out of five? Four out of five. Mm -hmm. Admin? 
Um, I'm with Ryan. I'm probably going to give it about a three. The art and the story are interesting, but it does take a lot of work to get through. Yeah. <laughs> some, some, I mean, it's, it's just good not to get you drained could... by reading a comic. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that I'm going to do 2.5 issues out of five. I think that, again... Look, I, it's, it's tricky because it's in a genre that I enjoy, and so I'm willing mm-hmm. to put in the energy, but it is, it's taxing to read. It's not easy to read. It's difficult to read. The text is done in such a way that it's kind of hard to read. There's a lot of it. It's in a strange font choice. In some cases, it's dark-on-dark dark text, the kind of mild outer glow on the text, and it's just hard to read, and then there's a lot to read. And even though I, I liked what I read, and I'm interested in what's going on kind of with more with the world and, like, the style of survival. Mm. It was a hard read. It was taxing. Yeah, there's really no other way to put it. It was difficult to read. And uh, I'm, like, a wildly lazy comic book reader. (laughs) (laughs) Something that I hold in high, high, high regard in comic books is the frame pacing and the sort of negative space use. And really what I'm trying to ramble into saying is that the thing that matters almost most to me is a feeling of breathy openness in the comic, and not busy, meticulous, minutia detail, mm-hmm. getting up in my business and complicating yeah. things. Like, okay, take Japanese comics, for example. These are probably the easiest way, because I'm a Japanese comic geek more than anything. I would say I'm more of a, like, Ranma one-half type person of the bigger, broader, thicker strokes, simpler sort of style, but communicating a lot with a little, but still that sort of open feeling in the frames and the art style in comparison to something like... One Piece or something like Naruto that is just busy. There's mm-hmm. just all these pen strokes, and it's not pen strokes that are trying to describe light and dark and shadow. It's pen strokes that are drawing like little leaves and little details on everything, and it's just there's just so much going on that it's almost like oh god, it's just mm-hmm. like I like the simplicity. I think that it's neat to be able to in comics draw the interest and whatnot and what's going on with the characters and you don't really need to have a full detailed drawing of everything happening in the frame you know you can have faded version of that or you can have some stuff going on but it doesn't have to be so much detail so much information it gets overwhelming for me and that's definitely not how everybody feels and like i said i'm a very lazy comic book reader i like to have it easy to read and i find that that's probably one of the largest factors in it being easy to read is that it has kind of that breathy, open feel to it. And this was just so much information squeezed onto a one page yeah. with crap tons of text and a tiny little font squished over here, squished over there, and just, oh, it was just so much stuff going on. It was so busy, so busy. And it just didn't seem to communicate with how much information it was given you. It didn't seem to communicate the information that would be pertinent to the story. Like, okay, they found a bigger boat at the end of this first chapter. Why is that better? And are, is the tugboat captain going to be able to sail a aircraft carrier? I think it's a cruise ship, actually. Or, either way. Either yeah. way. It's, it's a completely a, different thing. Yeah, yeah totally. I mean, it's definitely a landmark in the story, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot that goes unsaid, even with the amount of information that's there, that is in some cases kind of dizzying. So yeah, I, mean, I think that's why I give it a 2.5. But you know, on the whole, totally worth a read. Check it out. Oh yeah. Uh, so again, Dead Ahead by Mel Smith and Clark Castillo. Penciler and inker Alex Nino. Amazing stuff, really beautiful, really busy. But worth checking out. Is available on Image, I believe. You can go to imagecomics.com and check them out. I'm sure you can search for them there. We looked around and tried to find just a dead ahead website, a dedicated dead ahead website, and we, we didn't have a whole heck of a lot of luck, and there wasn't anything in the book that we could see. 
but you can definitely do a Google search for Mel Smith and Dead Ahead, and you'll find exactly what we're talking about. And, and being on Image, go to your local comic book store. Yeah, I mean, this is a trade here now, and it was put out by Acme Inc., and I'm not sure if that's, like, I don't know where on the timeline that was printed out, but I would imagine that it's probably available at your local comic book shop. You know, even if it's in a trade at this point, I wouldn't be surprised. And if, if you live in Sassoon, California, Nava, California, or just kind of the northern sort of Kelly area, sort North of kind Bay. of... North Bay. sort of zone, make sure to go to Waterfront Comics over in Sassoon, California, and say hi to John, and tell him that Geek Life sent you. And he'll probably look he'll at probably you. probably look at you and be like, who? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so, all right. Well, thanks for sticking with us, and uh, I think that we're gonna just gonna crash now. Yes. It's getting late. And we're tired. It's been a long week. Tired. Yeah. So, so good luck, Brian. Thank and, you. Um, why don't we all cuss a little bit so that Brian has something to edit? Already said. <laughs> oh. Uh, son of a bitch. Mother. Well, good luck and good night, gentlemen and ladies and peoples. Thank you for listening. We're tired. We're out. Later. Night. Thanks for listening to Geek Life. We always love to hear from our listeners, so please email us at geeklife at pandamanga.com with any questions, comments, or insights. Anyone interested in becoming a PM contributor, visit our contact page at contact.pandamanga.com and complete the form located there. Music has been provided by Air Plus Recordings. As always, links to the artists and songs featured on this episode are available in the show notes at podcasts.pandamanga.com. If you'd like more information about Air Plus Recordings, visit airplusrecordings.com. This is Joe, and we'll see you next time. Wide mouth bass. That's right. There's anyway. your cutout. <laughs> <laughs>